thank you, praise team. Appreciate all you guys do to, to bring us to a state of, of worship and experiencing God in this place. If, if I get emotional and start crying today, I, I've lost someone very close to me this week. Uh, I lost my dress shoes, and uh, I'd had them for about 20 years, and and I just replaced the soles on them, and, and uh, but my uppers finally gave up the ghost. And so I had to go buy some cheap dress shoes, and there was a reason I got them for $50. And uh, so if I break into tears, um, know, know that I'm struggling with feet that are hurting. Um, <laughs> I, don't know, I just felt like I need to disclose that. I don't know why. Uh, you know, it was a sad day. You know, I'd had him about 20 years, and oh, man, Lord help us. I should have said it through the prayer chain, I guess. But uh, oh, how do I get into the sermon now, Bob? You know, there's things we pursue in life, right? Everybody has things they pursue in their life. We, you know, we pursue uh, careers. We, we pursue um, sports. <laughs> we, we pursue jobs. Uh, we, we, we pursue money. <laughs> we pursue homes and cars, things. There's a lot of things in our life that we pursue. We, we pursue relationships, and uh, uh, men like me, we, we acknowledge that our wives are our better halves. Every time I see my boys and somebody goes, oh, your boys are handsome or they're good looking, I say, thank you, Terry, uh, for, for my boys. And, and so it, when Terry and I were, were first dating, I pursued her. Uh, she, she knows that. I, I pursued her. She didn't pursue me, you know. And so I pursued her. And, and that's kind of the typical way it goes. And, and I gave her cards. And I, and, I, and I sent her flowers, and I actually even talked on the telephone. I, I, it was a weird thing, you know, you could talk, and, and, and for like minutes and hours at a time. But, but I pursued Terry, uh, because I loved her. I had affection for her. Now, now, I'll be the first to admit that probably I don't talk on the phone as much now to her as I did then. But my love is still there, dear. Dear, I love you just as much now as I did 28 years ago or 27 years ago. Boy, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> At Christmas, we celebrate God's pursuing love. And that love that I've described, that pursuit that, that I, I've had with, with my wife, in a lot of ways, that is the pursuit that you see in scriptures. Uh, you, you see a very similar word oftentimes that talks about God's pursuing love and how God pursues us. And so we celebrate at Christmas this ideal that, that, that God didn't just flip a switch in heaven, but, but God pursued us. And so last week we talked about justice. God just didn't flip a switch on justice, but, but God sent Jesus. Jesus came, God wrapped in flesh, and he walked beside us. He actually came to humanity's side, and, and grace lived in our messes. And he calls us to do the same. That, that as we talk about justice, sometimes as we step into the mess of other people's lives, it can be kind of grungy, difficult. And so we celebrate at Christmas God's pursuing love. And, and the scriptures that, that talk about Jesus coming uh, talks about God pursuing. The Word became flesh. 
and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so this is the Apostle John's word in his first chapters. He's talking about Jesus, God wrapped in the flesh, who comes to our rescue and walks among us and lives among us. Jesus demonstrates this pursuing love of God. It's the theme of Paul's great hymn in Philippians. In Philippians, there's an early church song that that Paul seemingly quotes, and it goes something like this. Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And many scholars believe that the correct interpretation of this scripture is not Jesus being in the nature of God, but Jesus because he was of the very nature of God. Because he was of the very nature of this God who is defined by love, he was willing to let go of everything and and step into humanity's mess. (laughs) My mess, your mess, our mess. Jesus was willing to pursue us. So, if, if, if that's the extent, if, if five minutes is the extent of, of the time I get for your attention span, I hope you heard that today. <laughs> that God is pursuing you, that, that you are worthwhile, that, that He's not waiting for you to find Him. He's coming to you. And it's the story of Christmas. And we see it all over the Gospels. It's, it is the story of Jesus in the manger. It's the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. I, I love the story. Jesus has a purpose. He has a mission. He knows where he's going. He's heading to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be crucified. He's going through Jericho. And he goes through Jericho. He looks up and there's Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a... And a wee little man was he, okay, right? We all know the song. Goes through Jericho, sees the little man in the, in the tree, this tax collector, this scum of society that nobody wants to do anything with, that nobody's going to make way in the crowd for him to come through and see Jesus. He has to climb a sycamore tree, and, and Jesus says, hey, I'm coming to your house today. Uh, I thought about that. Maybe, you know, maybe it's not about inviting people to your house. Maybe you can say, hey, I'm coming over to your house to eat tonight, just like my Savior, okay? Uh, Jesus did it, I can do it. But Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. Hey, I'm coming to your house today, Zacchaeus. And he pursues someone else that no one else would pursue. Over and over in the Gospels, we have Jesus pursuing people that no one else would pursue. And such is the story in Matthew 9, Matthew 9, beginning verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, the religious people, saw this... They ask his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Think about the scene. 
you've got Jesus. Jesus is this teacher that is accumulating a follow, following. People are starting to follow him because he's a good teacher and he's healing people. And so he's getting these groups of people, even some religious people, some leaders are beginning to fall in behind Jesus. Now, now we know from the scriptures that he's the perfect God-man. There's, there's no sin in him. He's perfectly pleasing to the heavenly Father. And he's approaching Matthew. Matthew who is the scourge of society. He is a sinner and a tax collector. And Jesus pursues him. Now, I did some, some word studies in this passage. I got this passage, and you know, I always look at the, each word, and you know, I did some Greek studies of the words, and, 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 and mind-blowing things as I went through this. As I went through the original language and, and looked at this word sitting, this is going to blow your mind. you know what it means? It means he was sitting. <laughs> He's just sitting there. You say, well, Pastor, why is that significant? Matthew wasn't pursuing. Matthew wasn't following. Matthew wasn't even in the crowd that was gathered around Jesus listening. Matthew was sitting in his booth, same-o, same-o. And Jesus comes to him and says, Hey, why don't you follow me? You ever remember when you were in elementary school and you had to pick teams at recess? You know, some of you, that's painful memories. And uh, This is the last kid that no one else would pick getting picked first. This is not sitting waiting for your name to be called and finally, oh well, I guess we'll take Paul. This is, hey, I want you on my team. You know, I think probably Jesus could see in Matthew an interest, but I think Matthew's sitting there saying, well, why would he have any interest in me? Who am I? I, 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 I'm stuck in this booth and I'm stuck in this, in this place in society and, and there's no way that if this is the one from God that he'd have any interest in me. And Jesus pursues him. And Jesus says, not only that, I, I want you to get, Matthew, can you gather all of your forgotten friends? <laughs> you know, Jesus doesn't say, hey, and you in the crowd and you in the crowd and, and you over there Jesus says, hey, Matthew, can you go back and get all the other non-pursuing tax collectors and sinners that, that probably don't think they're worthy, and can you invite them to your house, and we're going to have a shindig. That, that's the original Greek word there. We're going to have a big party, and we're going to celebrate together. You know, the Pharisees, the religious people don't like that, and, and they begin to question Jesus' disciples, and and, and Jesus hears them and Jesus says, uh, you need to learn what it means that I desire compassion, not sacrifice. <laughs> that, that I've come for the sick and not the healthy. 
a few minutes, we're going to be back in Mike, and, and, and it's going to mirror what Jesus is saying here, that, that God doesn't want a bunch of religious people going through religious motions. But he wants us to understand that there's a call to something deeper and more real and more significant involving our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. I've come for the sick, not the healthy. Our God pursues. And so as we think about this, and we're, we're working through this, this re-gifted series, and you know, the, the question is, how can we re-gift God's love? How can we re-gift this God that pursues? And, and we've been working with Micah 6, 6 through 8. It's an Old Testament scripture. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Can you say that last phrase with me? Do justice. Love kindness, walk humbly with your God. You know, once again, Jesus is, is emphasizing our tendency to rely on religiosity, to get caught up in churchianity, to, to go through the motions of spirituality, but not have it change our life at all. Jesus says, do justice. What will my life produce? Doing nothing produces nothing. Can you say that with me? Doing nothing produces nothing. And Jesus is calling us very actively to produce something with our life. And what he's calling us to produce is justice. And this is, is redemptive justice. This is the justice that Jesus produced. And it's a justice that lifts people. And so when Emily does single mother meals, that is a justice that lifts people. When we do angel tree gifts, that is a justice that lifts people. When you serve at a homeless shelter, when you work at the Hope Center, what Dee does through neighbor to neighbor, when we do these things, these are examples of redemptive justice. The whole ideal of light up Union County was that we would light up Union County with acts of redemptive justice, that we would produce something and not just go through the motions of church. And the next one is, is not passive either. Love kindness. What will I pursue in life? Next week we'll talk about walking humbly with our, with our God and it's going to be about who sets the pace of our life. But, but Micah, God tells us how he wants us to live with Jesus. God shows us. So we talked about producing justice, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I think it's important that we understand. I think there's a, there's a distinction. There's a, there's a manner of producing justice. There's a way we live that produces justice that is a little bit different than when we talk about pursuing kindness. When we produce justice, we must set habits and routines that place us in situations where we can lift others. I do not believe that if you want to be a person who produces justice in your life, that it will just organically happen. That you'll just, oh, yeah, hey, this week I'm walking down the street and I produced justice. 
I, I think Jesus is talking about the habits and the routines of your life. And in the habits of your routines of your life, you set aside space and time where you intentionally find places where you can lift others. And when you pursue kindness, it's about people and time. That, that this is more... Pursuing kindness is about being aware and taking advantage of the opportunities. In other words, pursuing kindness is not about the habits you set, but what you do with the opportunities of life. When you have opportunities, and, and, and this word kindness this is hesed, it's, it's loving kindness, and it's about people. Yeah, I shouldn't have to say that, should I? It's good to be kind to animals, to have a kind spirit. Um, now, see, it'll come across that pastors being anti-animal. Anti I've got an animal, and I, I'm kind to him. You can ask him. Yeah. But it's about people. It's about relationship. And so when God through Micah says, do justice, pursue kindness, he's talking about the second commandment. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. As you love your neighbor as yourself, you do justice. You pursue kindness. You know, kindness... Can we acknowledge? You know, it's not, oh, well, I went to church today. What did the pastor talk about? Well, the pastor talked about being kind. That sounds lame when you say it like that. So don't go home and say it like that. But the reality is, kindness is countercultural in our day. It is. What's the news? Kindness is countercultural. And when I say kindness encounter is countercultural, I'm not talking about some mild, sitting on my hands, smiling at people kind of kindness. See, see, that's not the kindness that God's talking about in Micah. It's not the kindness that Jesus practiced. Jesus practiced radical kindness, a purposeful kindness. What if you pursued kindness in every circumstance? Well, what if kindness was more important than getting your way? Well, what if kindness was more important than being heard? What if kindness was more important than getting the best deal? What if kindness in every circumstance and relationship that you had this week, what if that became the priority of that relationship? What if you went into every conversation saying, hey, I don't know what's going to happen in this conversation, but in the midst of this conversation, I am going to pursue, like it's something that matters, kindness. In your, in your um, bulletin, there's the, the neighborhood diagram again, what the author of the book, The Art of Neighboring, called the, the diagram of shame <laughs> of the people that live around you. What, what if God has placed you in your neighborhood for a reason? What, what if God has a purpose right where you live? 
And, and as I thought about this ideal of pursuing kindness, if there's ever a time that you can pursue kindness and no one will look at you strangely, it's Christmas. Right? I, I mean, at Christmas time, you can make cookies. You can actually probably go to Kroger's and buy some cookies and put them on a plate like you make them. And I, and I think God's okay with that for this. Uh, but, but you can take cookies to your neighbor with a card on them and introduce yourself. And no one will look at you strange. Right? You do it in the middle of August, they may think they want something. You do it at Christmas... So this is an opportunity. This season is an opportunity. As we've talked about love you see and the art of neighboring and getting to know your neighbors, this is an opportunity to put that in motion. Like no other time to put this in motion, to get to know your neighbors and begin to have opportunities of kindness right where you're planted. You have family gatherings. <laughs> and sometimes... Family gatherings can be the hardest gatherings. And all God's people said, yeah, right? You may have family gatherings where somebody may want to talk about politics. Ooh. <laughs> Pursue kindness. Pursue kindness. At school, it's opportunities to pursue kindness. In the workplace, <laughs> This is the time of the season in the workplace. You can give that employee, that co-employee that stinks, a Christmas gift and get away with it, okay? And begin to maybe, can I say stinks? Was that a bad word, Josh? Is that okay? Okay. You can begin to show kindness even difficult times. Choose kindness over harshness. Listening over speaking, giving over getting. Now, we, we sang ever be, I, I love ever be, your praise will ever be on my lips. What a phrase. But in the midst of that song, in, in one of the verses, it says, you father the orphan, your kindness makes us whole. I, and every time I hear that phrase, what, what occurs to me is that, that God does that through people. <laughs> And so naturally, when, when we sing, you father the orphan, I think about um, the, the, the um, Greens. I think about Kevin and Polly, that, that God has used Kevin and Polly to father orphans. <laughs> that, 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 that's been their ministry. See, God fulfills his promises through his people. That, that one of the things in the incarnation tells us is that God wants to be wrapped in human flesh, and he first wraps himself in the flesh of Jesus. But now through the power of the Holy Spirit, he wants to wrap, his, wrap himself in our flesh and continue to be his hands and feet in our world. I, 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 it's fundamental to my theology. My understanding of holiness is this ideal that God wants to embody me and me continue the work of Jesus in this world. So as I thought about this, I thought, I thought about Psalm 23. Psalm 23, it's a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. 
Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. I know there's one more verse. I I believe God uses people. to do all of these things. God God can do this on his own. I'm not saying that the Spirit can't go and do, but God uses people to fulfill Psalm 23 in the life of people in this community. God uses us to meet needs, to bring rest, to walk beside and bless. And then the last verse Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That this goodness and unfailing love is this kindness that Mike is talking about. I I believe this pursue is the same pursue, except it's reversed. And in this passage, what the psalmist is saying, and the imagery is, is striking, that in the hustle and bustle of life, God's loving kindness is pursuing him. And, and the, I, I heard a speaker one time talk about this, and she said it in such a striking way. She said, why don't we just stop and let the kindness of God catch up with us? Micah reverses this. It says, you pursue loving kindness. And I think what Mike is saying is God wants us to be his pursuing love. That that, that God wants to fulfill Psalm 23 through you in your neighborhood, in your home, in your school, in your workplace, when you're out in the public, when you're in the store, when you go to the restaurant today and they give you Coke instead of Diet Coke or vice versa. God wants you to be his pursuing love. You know, Christmas... (laughs) Christmas is, and everybody's filling in the blank in their own mind, right? (laughs) Christmas is a difficult season to stay balanced. Amen? (laughs) It's busy. I was talking to Terry Moore, and Terry Moore said he had had five Christmas dinners in the past week. That's a lot of Christmas dinners, okay? And so I know that, that in, in the pace of life uh, that you can sometimes become overwhelmed by all that needs to be done and all that's being done. But I believe what we see in Micah is this, this great privilege of just making the most of those opportunities that God gives us to be his loving kindness in a world that is desperate for something as simple as kindness. In the first service, I, th- I think I said something like this, that in, in the Bible we have those phrases like that that's like easy phrases, right? You know, be kind. <laughs> and, and, you know, we send our kids to kindergarten, and one of the first things we say is, hey, be kind. You know, and, we, and so it, it's simple enough for a kindergartner but I think it's profound enough that if we really seize upon it, it can change all the relationships around us. All heads bow, all eyes closed.
intentionally give you a couple minutes here um, in, in the service just to allow God to speak. And so I'd ask you just to spend a few minutes, a couple minutes in prayer. Our altars are always available. Uh, I, I think you can meet with God right where you are, but maybe you want to come and meet with him at an altar. It's just a great place to pray. And so let's spend a few minutes in prayer, and then Pastor Bob's going to come and close us in prayer.